Ooh. Yeah, Do you want me to record a local backup? Uh, if you'd like, you can. Um, the thing I like about Squadcast is that it does do local backups, kind of like Zencaster. Nice. Uh, okay. And they they seem to be pretty reliable. Okay. Well, I'm happy to not do it. It's fine. <laughs> I hear that. Always when the process is easier, it's it's a little bit nicer to work with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh not? man. So how is uh how is Boston around these this time? It's a great time of year, actually. It's um, fall is beautiful uh, around here, so it's getting kind of crisp and dry, and the leaves are beautiful, like all kinds of colors. Crisp and dry is like the recipe for disaster out here in California. Oh um, uh, well, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. Dry, dry means different things to us because it's, it's often humid in the summer. So, yeah, it, it'll be okay though. I, I think uh, I'm scheduled to record or not to record. <laughs> I'm scheduled to speak at North Bay Python, which is in like the heart of Sonoma County next week, and mm. I am I'm worried about two things. One, they might just cancel the entire conference due to the fires, but the other possible uh, possibility is that. They may cancel my flight, which would be equally as bad because I'm flying directly into Santa Rosa. So, yeah, bummer. Well, fingers crossed. Hope it goes well. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure it will. Uh, but no, I was. I was surprised at first. I was like, "Wait, isn't he in the Bay Area?" And I, I went and checked. I was like, "Oh no, he's in Boston." And I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. oh cool." Uh, my my wife's family is from Boston, so they uh, they like to regale me with story after story about how growing up in Boston during the the 50s and 60s were like the time to be there. And I was like, oh, I would hmm. not know. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. Awesome. So I've got my little checklist here. Mm-hmm. I, I always have to ask my, my few questions. Ben Orenstein? That's right. Yep. Okay. okay. It's a, I, I can never remember Steen versus Stein for... Pretty arbitrary. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, as far as bios go, co-founder or not co-founder, founder of, of, do you, do you prefer tuple or tuple? Uh, we say tuple, tuple uh, and, okay. and co-founder actually is correct. I have two, two partners. Okay. So co-founder of tuple, uh, mm-hmm. which is a video, uh, pair programming application and, um, also, I can never, I can never get the, the matchups right on Art of Product. Okay. Did you previously do Drip or? That was Derek. That was Derek. Okay. Before um, Tuple, I was at uh, ThoughtBot. Okay. That, that makes sense. That's, that's like probably the hardest part about listening to the show is I'm, I'm just like, Wait, who who did what when and and in what situation now? And, and I can always remember. Okay, I know, I know Ben is doing is doing tuple now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. we've been thinking. We uh, I had this idea of making a like if it's your first show document that we link to in the show notes, and like just like here's a quick bio on each of us, and then also maybe like a sample like this is what Ben sounds like, this is what Derek sounds like. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things that I, I I've been listening. How long have I been? Li- I think the episode in which you guys interviewed Paul Jarvis the first time. Okay. Was when I was like, oh, okay. I'm subscribed to Paul's newsletter. So nice. Uh, so you linked it up in there? 
Yeah, and then uh, after that, I was like, okay, I'm hooked to this. I like this. Cool. So, awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Awesome. And then uh, this is actually going to be the first episode. I know I'm recording in like October. It's going to be the first episode of the new year. Um, okay. As I'm, I'm doing kind of a seasonal run with the podcast where I basically do um, kind of, are you familiar with like 12 week year? Uh, no. So 12 week year basically is like you have a, a goal for 12 weeks. You focus solely on that goal and then you take time off and then you start another 12 week year. And instead of saying I have a yearly goal, you just have a quarterly goal basically. Hmm. Um, so the podcast is kind of going into that format where it's going to be uh, two 12 week seasons and you're going to be the first episode of the first season of 2020. Cool. Um, that said, I'm also going to be releasing some courses for uh, like marketing for developers, which is what I do. I'm a marketing and audio engineer uh, and work with a lot of course creators and content creators. So hmm. um, cool. Kind of the the area of focus on this is, I guess, the idea of going out on your own, doing this product, but then also having to think about all of the other aspects of it, especially being a developer first. You know, one of the things I think you even said this on the last episode is that you still write code. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that you do and you enjoy doing, but how do you balance the idea of... I have a product. I have to maintain that product. I have to be a co-founder of that product, but I also still want to write code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that's something that your, your podcast covers a lot. So mm. I, I definitely uh, gotten kind of inspired by the idea from listening to your show. Cool. So I figured that's so, right in your range. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious. What would, what would make this a really great episode? Like what would make this a success in your mind? So for me, the ability for a developer to listen to this at any time, they say they have a product or they're thinking about building a product and they're worried about, well, if I'm going to build this product, you know, I I have to think about marketing. I have to think about sales. I have to think about all of these different things, but I like to write code. That's, that's what I know. That's what I do. And how do I successfully balance that? And that's actually something that I'm, you know, working on myself, having uh, been doing this business for a little over a year now, where most of my work is audio editing, but I write code. Like I'm working on, uh, similar to Derek, I'm working on building a, a static site generator, um, something okay. that so Python users can kind of plug into the Jamstack as well. And then... I'm also, you know, editing podcasts, editing course videos and things like that. And for me, it's all about how can I continue to grow my my small business that, you know, isn't necessarily my full-time job while also holding on to the idea that I am still a developer. I am still writing code. I am still wanting to uh, grow, flex that muscle, you know, and exercise it and, and be able to continue to grow as a developer. Okay. So you, you, you're hoping that this turns into a good resource for developers that want to start a product and are trying to grapple with how do I do marketing on top of also all the development or like what the ratio should be or how do I, how to do it well? Is that roughly right? Um, more than anything, it's 
kind of a, a case study. Like, okay, here's here's the story of Ben. This is what Ben did. Um, okay. Obviously, not what's going to work for Ben may not work for you know Jay or, or Amy or whoever. But this is something. Maybe I can take a piece of what Ben did and apply it to you know my my methodology, my practice, and hopefully that'll you know get you to get you know get these guys to wherever they want to be. Okay, sounds good. All right. Um, Two more questions and I'll be ready. <laughs> I know it's a lot. Um, okay. Anything that we need to steer clear of as far as like NDAs or. Nope. Okay. Nope. And then, I, like I said, I know this is going to be coming out in the new year, but anything around that time or, or close to that time that you think you may want to, uh, you know, give a plug to? Mm. <clears throat> I mean, it, if I'm talking about my work on Tuple for mostly the whole podcast, it's kind of a long <laughs> implicit plug. So I think I could probably skip the plug. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks though. All right. Um, and then there will be, so the way this works is my community, it's like 60 folks that um, pay to be in a private Slack you know, group. And we talk kind of like what Justin does with mega maker, which I'm also a member of. Um, they'll get access to this basically after we're done recording. Um, so they may, there will be a little bit of value for them. Uh, but at the end of the show, we do what's called the after show, which is basically like a, you know, role reversal where Mm. instead of me interviewing you, you're now talking to me, asking me questions about whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, honestly, they just enjoy listening to other developers and the stuff that they think about it. it doesn't have to be programming related. It doesn't have to be marketing related. It can be, you know, what baseball team I like, which it doesn't matter because they got put out in the first round. So, hmm. you know, it's, and it can literally be about whatever you want for how long, you know, for as long as you want. My calendar is pretty clear today, so I don't really have any time commitments, but I know we, we only slated for an hour and a half. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. All right. Any uh, any questions or thoughts before? Uh, jump in? I think I'm good. Okay. And then, uh, if you have anything that you want to add to the to the chat, there's a little chat bubble at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Squadcast or not. I haven't used it before. It's first time. Yeah. Seems good though. It's I, I like it because it, it's even though it doesn't record the video, it gives that video component. And it, it seems to be pretty reliable so far. Um, nice. And your audio cool. sounds great and, and everything. And great. It looks like, let me just make sure that Audio Hijack is still running. It is. Let me throw that up to Sidecar because I'm a glutton for punishment. That way I'm not staring at an audio screen all day. There we go. So I can see up there if anything happens. All right. I am. I feel bad because I'm like raspy this morning, but Mm. we'll get it. We'll make, we'll make it it happen. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I'll be recording in five, four, three, two. What's up everybody. Jay Miller here bringing another productivity in tech podcast. My guest this week, Ben Orenstein. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I am glad that I was able to connect with you and, and so quickly as well. Uh, 
For those that don't know Ben, Ben is the co-founder of Tuple, which is a program pair programming video chat tool that I honestly wish I had more of a use for because as a solo developer, like I always feel bad because it's like, I really want to use this, but I think just setting up a camera and talking to the ether um, on a program may not really be the best use of it, but for teams that are wanting to get pair programming and, and do it in an interactive way, I think Tuple's definitely the kind of the new the the new tool to replace what Slack had before, right? Uh, Screen Hero, yeah, which was bought by Slack and then unfortunately shut down. Yeah, and and you kind of regale that story a little bit on your podcast, uh, The Art of Product, as well as the. Uh, eventual growth of Tuple and the progress that it took to get there along with your uh, co-host, Derek. So I, I know I've, I've said a lot in that kind of doing the, the introduction, but I want to know a little bit more about who, who Ben is and, and a little bit more about what you do. Sure. Um, so my background is uh, programming. So I've been writing code for something like 15 years now or, or so. And um, for the first chunk of my career, I was most interested in writing code better. I found it super fascinating and, and really loved it. And so what I focused on for a long time was just like, how do I do this better? And then um, I realized after a few years that I had developed some skills that I thought like could be useful, like might be useful enough to teach other people, uh, particularly around um, Vim. I was really into this text editor for programmers called Vim and it was kind of complicated and I went to a new job and the people there didn't know how to use it and so I like would pair with them and teach them some stuff and I was like hey this is really fun and it made me realize that I I knew a lot about it and so um, I decided to give my first uh, try to give my first conference talk uh, and started teaching uh, programming topics and discovered that hey I I really love this teaching part too so uh, for the next couple years I was learning to write code better and learning to use programming tools better but also teaching it back to the world in various ways uh, that was kind of like phase two. Uh, and then phase three was when I got really interested in the business side of things. And it was like, yeah, I'm writing all this code. This is great. But there's, I'm doing this for this underlying business. And hey, how does that work? And, and what's going on here? And it, it felt, uh, so it felt for a number of years, like, I feel like my eventual destiny is to start a software company, but I don't have the ingredients right yet, uh, like the co-founders of the idea. And then eventually, uh, those pieces came together. And I quit my job and started uh, the company I work on now, Tuple. And that more or less brings us up to today. That's awesome. And uh, we mentioned uh, prior to recording that you previously were at ThoughtBot, right? That's right, yeah. there's a YouTube video called Mastering Vim um, from ThoughtBot that is like my, like, getting started with Vim crash course. Like, when when you want to look at Vim as, because I'm actually, I'm a NeoVim user, so... That mm-hmm. is that is my daily driver in code. So for me, like it's interesting to see that because I, I can't remember. Did you do that video or was that another uh, another member there? Uh, that sounds like something that my colleague Chris Toomey made, perhaps. But yeah. I do have like probably a, almost a dozen Vim videos on the internet. If you if you look around for them, you can definitely find them. I'll see if I can uh, maybe put together a small playlist and uh, and put it in the show notes for users. I'm I'm always interested in people that uh, stick to the the terminal for writing code, especially as as someone who does that myself. Um, 
I, I don't know what it is, maybe just the muscle memory, but you you have a very methodical approach to how you've you've outlined your career. Um, like you said, you kind of knew what you wanted to do, but the pieces weren't always there. Uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like Vim or Neo Vim the way that, you know, that's why I use it is that I feel like when I'm doing a thing, I have to tell myself, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Here's the command that now puts me in that mindset to do that thing. Like if I'm going to actually add code or edit code, I need to be in insert mode. If I need to, okay, hey, I need to test this code. So I have a function called, you know, test that runs PyTest on all on the actual like test package. And it's interesting that while there are other editors that allow you to do things like that, I feel like Vim does a great job and, and maybe Emacs as well. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not. I'm team Vim. So I, I think that programs like that do a great job of saying it's time to, to think about this and it's time to do this thing. Uh, was similar to Vim is that how you treat your your business now with with Tuple? Is it is it like okay, it's time to put on my you know co-founder hat, or it's time to put on my marketing hat, or it's time to put on my developer hat? Or are you thinking about all of those things at one time? It's kind of a big mishmash in my head, honestly. Um, we're just three people, uh, and so we're all doing kind of a lot of things across the divisions of. If, if we were a larger company, uh, you might draw. And so when I'm thinking about work, I'm usually just, I'm, I'm trying to think like, what, what is big right now? What would move the needle? What, what's the, what thing could we do in the next two to six weeks that would have a substantial impact? Uh, and what do we care about? What do we want to improve? What are the problems? Um, so I don't usually split it out so explicitly in my head. Uh, I do end up bouncing between a bunch of different roles because sometimes the most important thing is to send an email to our uh, mailing list. And sometimes it's to write up some documentation for a feature that's confusing. And sometimes it's to write some code on the back end. So um, I am in a bunch of places, but I don't usually walk in on Monday and say, today I'm a marketer, I will do marketing things. You know, I, I think uh, Mike Vardy actually subscribes to the the opposite methodology of of just having like the time batched themes of every Monday is customer service Monday and Tuesday is sales Tuesday and, you know, or, you know, from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. is this as a developer and as someone who also struggles with with ADHD, I I don't think that I could ever do that. I, I feel like the biggest weapon that I have is the the fact that my brain is moving a thousand miles an hour and it's just like, OK, I need to be able to context switch and move into this thought. But while I'm doing that, I have so many other things that are popping up. And and you just said, you know, you're trying to focus on what's going to move the needle. How do you stay focused on that when all of a sudden inspiration strikes and you now have a result? You know, you have a possible solution to a problem that you had maybe in marketing or in coding. Um, I probably switched to that new thing that I'm excited about. <laughs> And I'm not saying this to be prescriptive, by the way. Like, I'm not saying this is the best way or even a great way, uh, but it is the reality, more or less. I do think there's some value to being willing to change course or change the thing you're working on. Um, some of our value proposition as a small startup is that we are 
not as established as other big companies, but we can respond faster than they can. So sometimes someone will submit a support request or a feature request. And as a team, we go we'll like slap our heads like, oh yeah, we should definitely do that. That totally fits with how it works. And that's totally, that's a great idea. And one of my favorite things in the world is then shipping that really fast and responding to that person being like, hey, thanks for the awesome idea. Here it is. It's live in production for everyone. And so it's not always the right call. And, and you don't want to constantly be paying the cost of switching contexts. But sometimes uh, it's, I think, nice to do that. And also, I think that's also kind of fun. So we're at a phase in the business where we are like not running out of runway anymore. Like It's making more money than we need to survive. So we're kind of in a new... We're, we're trying to amend our mindsets a little bit, which is like, okay, this probably won't die. And so we have now kind of as much time as we want. And so how should we operate given that? And one of the things that we try to pay attention to is like, is this fun? Like, how can we enjoy the journey more? And so it, it may be that there is a approach that is optimal if you wanted to make the biggest, most profitable business, but we want to make a profitable business while enjoying it. I like that. And and I, I think that's something that a lot of developer turned whatever uh, especially when it comes to running your own business or doing your own thing, they tend to forget that, you know, you started writing code for a reason and you have this idea to start a business for maybe a different reason. And, you know, in my case, uh, my, my business isn't centered around code or writing it. It's centered around helping others teach others. So for me, when I think about why I want to to do the thing that I'm doing, even though I might be excited about a little bit of code that I get to write around like my billing workflow or my marketing workflow, I I have to think again, what like you said, what is the price that I'm paying when I make that switch? And ultimately at the end of the day, is it going to help impact, you know, my users or, or my customers? But at the same time, does it fit the the concept? Does it fit the idea of what I'm trying to do in my business? Like, that's something that I've struggled with a lot of just figuring out what what it is that my business is going to provide. What what service? What help is it going to provide? And you know, when I get an idea of like, oh, well, I do transcriptions. Let me make a transcription service, and that'll pre- create some you know MRR and everything is great. And then I'm like banging my head against the wall for the next month and a half because now I'm no longer helping people edit podcasts or edit coursework. I'm instead trying to develop a SaaS product and the mindset completely shifts. Have you felt like the the idea of your product shifted at all during this process? Uh, uh, hmm. Did it shift at all? Yes, it shifted constantly. Or I, I guess the better question would be, have you had to fight against the idea of your product uh, changing focus? Um, so, yes, I do have to fight against that. Um, I definitely get a little bit of shiny object syndrome where I like working on fresh new things that excites me. Um, and like the new feature that is kind of greenfield uh, is always a little bit more exciting than refining the existing thing and solving hard problems with it. Uh, 
Um, so, um, and, and right now I've actually been turning over this thing in my head for a couple of weeks around adding this new feature to the product that I think would make it more useful and so probably a bit more sticky, but I think would also make it more complicated and harder to position effectively. I think it would make it a little bit weirder for people to understand it quickly. And so um, I'm kind of weighing that in my head. Like, is it worth, is it worth it? And it's easy. Like we, we in the past, we have actually, it's actually fairly easy to add a new feature to a software tool that then complicates all future features. So like every feature in your product, I think makes it a little bit worse and a little bit better. And so hopefully you've chosen it really well. And so the better is much better than the worse, but like every additional feature is a new thing that you have to support, debug, train people on, make people aware of, fit in the UI. Uh, it's just like everything carries a cost. And so, and some of them interact deeply with a bunch of other features. So if you make a new feature that touches 10 other features, well, now every time you touch one of those 10 features, you have to think about this other one. So it's actually really easy to fairly uh, build something that seems kind of innocuous that then costs you a lot of effort down the road. So I'm sort of always, I'm kind of, my default of new features is often suspicion. It's kind of like, is this really going to be worth it considering all the cost that comes with this? Like, is, is it is it going to make enough people really happy? I like that. And I like that kind of thought that goes into like, okay, even if I really want this thing, is it at the end of the day, am I going to want to pay the tax that comes with implementing whatever that thing is? Let's, uh, let's shift gears just a little bit and, and tell folks about the, uh, the art of product. Totally. Uh, so back when I was at ThoughtBot, this was probably four or five years ago, maybe even longer. Um, we hired an apprentice at one point and he was like, how do you not have a podcast as a company? And our CEO was like, you're right, we should have a podcast. And so the CEO approached me and he said, hey, um, would you want to uh, be involved with the podcast? And I was like, eh, I don't know. It's not really going to make any money for the company. And I kind of like focusing on things that that like drive revenue because I think that's fun. And I don't want to schedule guests and edit things and all that. And he was like, no, 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 no you would just host it. We're going to have someone else edit it and do all the other stuff. And I was like, oh, well then, yes, I'm definitely interested. <laughs> so I said yes to that. Uh, and I ended up hosting uh, a show for ThoughtBot called Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots, which is one of the best podcast names, I think. Um, and did a few hundred episodes of that over the years and was an awesome experience. And towards the end of that run, um, I had brought on a co-host who was Derek Reimer. Uh, and uh, we had done about 20 or 30 episodes together. And then eventually, uh, I decided that I wanted to leave ThoughtBot and go work on my own things. And when I did that, I realized, okay, well, this podcast is ThoughtBots, so I have to leave. And so Derek and I struck out on our own and spun up a new one called The Art of Product, which is kind of like a continuation of the, old, of the old thing, only focused on the new phase, which is he and I both left our cushy full-time gigs and started new companies. And so The Art of Product is um, the most complete and best record of what it was like for two developers to, to go down that path. And, and you two have been collecting the stories of other really, I don't want to say like well-known developers, but like people who are, who are doing whatever they're doing, but successfully. Like you had um, Rahul from Superhuman. Um, of course, the way I was introduced to the show was with uh, Paul Jarvis and 
I think you've had Justin Jackson on at least once mm-hmm, as well. That's right. Yep. So uh, it, it's interesting that the podcasting space has room for so, just to to reach out and connect with so many great people. I mean, I'm I'm talking to to you right now um, based on this idea of like, hey, I have a podcast. Would you love to come on and and maybe educate? some of my listeners on how to successfully, you know, balance a project and a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is something I learned uh, working on that first podcast at ThoughtBot that it didn't even occur to me at first. I, d- I didn't even weigh this in my calculations. But a podcast, uh, a podcast interview is a very easy thing to ask someone to do. It requires almost no prep, um, is pr- like for the for the for the guest and is very win-win because uh, that guest gets exposed to your audience, but then your audience gets to hear that interesting thing from the guests. Sometimes the guests will share your podcast with their audience. So it's um, pretty easy to get pretty famous people, not that I am one, but like more famous people like Rahul, for example, uh, to come on your podcast. Uh, and then once you've had a couple, it's easy to get more. And so I actually think this is one of these great kind of uh, life hacky type things, which is like have a podcast and you know, make it good, but secretly it can kind of be like, this is my uh, underground networking tool where I establish, you know, relationships with people that are interesting in my industry. Uh, and that was a, a big outcome from the giant robots days uh, that I was not expecting at all. But suddenly it was like, wow, I've interviewed 150 people in my field that are pretty prominent and I can email them and ask them questions. And what a what a useful thing that was for me. I, th- I think that there are a lot of, one, there are a lot of podcasts. Um, that's something that I often hear about from clients of like, okay, hey, I'm trying to get a podcast going. How do I, how do I stand out amongst the crowd? And I was like, well, you've got to remember, everyone is trying to stand out amongst the crowd. So I think the best way to do that is to just be yourself. And if it takes off, it's going to take off to whoever, you know, it appeals to. But at the same time, look at the podcast as an opportunity for more than just selling mattresses or, you know, getting people to purchase your product. While that is a side effect, like you said, the the connections that you make just through sitting on, you know, a computer for an hour and just having a conversation. Some of the people that I've worked with the longest I met through just inviting them onto my show and then seeing totally. them grow, I was then mm-hmm. able to go, Oh, Hey, by the way, I'm working in this new, with this new project. Is this something that could help you? Yes or no. And, you know, for a few people, yeah, it, it really worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, if you reached out to a well-known, let's say I reached out to Rahul uh, and just said, Hey, can I jump on a video call with you and pick your brain for an hour? He would be like archive. Absolutely not. But if I said, Hey, I run this podcast that you know gets a certain number of downloads, and I think my audience would get a lot of value from what you have to say. I'd love to ask you about these three things. That's like a the hit rate on that is way way higher. So it's it's just a nice it's just a good trick. So have you seen any side effects other than the networking that came from doing the art oh, yeah. product? Oh yeah, I mean a ton of our the early customers for Tuple came from the art product audience. I would say the vast majority. Um, so it's, people have been following along on the story and then suddenly it's like, okay, we're inviting more people and, and it's the people that have been listening for the longest and have all the context that, that want to jump in. Um, and that context is really valuable. So sometimes I'll email someone, uh, one of our customers 
and be like, oh, sorry, we haven't done this yet because blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, yeah, I know. I listened to Art of Product. I know you're thinking about this. And I heard you talking about how you were trying to balance this and this. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of acting as one of our like unofficial communications channels with our customers. And in fact, I actually link people to it when they, when they become a customer. Like I, I say, by the way, if you want to hear the behind the scenes, every week I put out this podcast, you can hear like what I'm thinking about. That's interesting that you are so transparent with your customers as well as with the audience of your podcast, you know, when it comes to your business. You know, I think that's something that I enjoy as someone who is trying to grow a business. But at the same time, I think there's also that fear of like, okay, I'm having a, a pricing, you know, panic and trying to figure out, you know, oh, am I, am I priced too low? Am I priced too high? You know, what's, how am I getting that first customer? Like all of these things that are, are genuinely helpful when it comes to growing a business and, and having that as a reference. But at the same time, I've, I've kind of subscribed to the idea of like, there are people who will inherently not trust a product due to it being new or due to it, you know, kind of understanding the process that's going on behind the scenes. And there are a lot of folks who often faint, you know, they feign professionalism for the idea of, well, my customers don't want to hear me panicking about my pricing or having to question, you know, what email marketing application I'm going to be using and why, or my thoughts on privacy or, you know, I guess in, you know, as we're recording this, the conundrums of working with, you know, businesses in foreign countries and things like that. But it, it I feel like it's, it's almost a trade-off. Would you, would you agree with that? Like transparency versus, you know, understanding that just certain customers are not going to appeal to that. Yeah, I think the concern around your around that as painting a negative picture is probably overblown. I wouldn't worry about that. I, I think trust is often built more effectively through transparency and admitting difficulties and problems. Um, like, if you, I think projecting a always confident, we have everything under control, we're not struggling with anything uh, front. It feels disingenuous. So even if you did manage to convince some people that was the case, you're kind of convincing them to purchase from a organization that they don't understand. Like you have painted this false front and they are buying from you now because they think this thing that's not true. And like, yeah, maybe that works in the short term, but it doesn't feel good. Um, and I, I think the, the contrary is actually true, which is that the more you share and the more the process is out there, the better it is. Uh, I think it, it makes people trust you because they can feel that you're telling them everything. They can see that it's an authentic thing. And, the, and and I also think people are more reasonable and forgiving than maybe we give them credit for. So in the early days of Tuple, I remember being really scared to launch because when I would use the product, uh, there were just problems and I would see bugs and things would mess up. And I remember th I had this picture in my head of these incredibly uh, demanding customers getting really mad at us because this thing didn't work or this thing crashed. And then um, we would demo the product and sign people up for it. And it would, I, I would like, we would run into a bug on a call, like while I was like onboarding somebody and they'd be like, oh yeah, that's a bug. I can see why that would be hard to do. Anyway, I love what it's doing over here though. And like they would focus on the positive and they would kind of brush off the negative. And I was like, oh my God, I was expecting the opposite. So I, I think you can put that stuff out there. I don't, I don't think it hurts. I, I wonder if that's a 
kind of a grooming of the customers that you want to have. Because as much as I imagine, like, it, while it would be nice to have, you know, some type of enterprise licensing deal with Apple where you have thousands of developers all, you know, working with, with Tuple, I feel like the demand at that point is now a completely different thought of what in, from what you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, you, by being honest about how big you are and how sophisticated you are, there are some customers that will choose to not work with you. But that's probably what you want. You don't want to create this false impression that you're a big, sophisticated operation and then fall down because you managed to convince a giant organization to sign up with you and then they are not satisfied. I think that's, I don't think that would really help anything. Absolutely. We've got a a few minutes left in this. So I I, want to ask you a a few kind of lightning round questions. And, And the first one is, if you had a favorite episode or a great first episode for folks to listen to for the art of product, which one would it be? Mm-hmm. I wish I had an answer to this ready. Let me let me just pull up our list real quick. Yeah, I'm I'm really bad about like not giving this information out to people <laughs> beforehand, and it's like I I never can think of like what questions I'm going to ask until I'm in the middle of the interview. Like, oh, I'm going to ask that. Even though no one's asking, my answer is definitely the, um, I think the Rahul one was was really solid. Um, I am a superhuman user. Um, I continued using it through the whole uh, kerfuffle with the tracking pixels and things like that. I, I feel like that's a decision of the user, not necessarily the business. The business has to provide the service, but the user has to decide how they're going to use it. Um, I, I think that was good because Rahul is definitely one of those uh, individuals that has a system and is very good at implementing it and doing it in a way that's successful. Although there are a lot of people who probably could not do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I don't know a good place to start in the podcast. It kind of depends on what you are into. Um I would recommend kind of dipping in in the latest one and see if you like, hey, like these guys are interesting to listen to. What we what we do experience is a lot of people um, start listening, they listen to an episode, they really dig it, so then they go back to the beginning and they actually like go through the whole backlog, which is crazy to me, but I'm glad it, it works for some people. So I think you kind of... We, we try not to release episodes we're not proud of. So if you pick anything in the pot, like just scroll through the catalog. If it looks good, give it a shot. See what you think. I, I like that. And, and it does really feel like that where there might be an episode where I'm like, okay, I don't really think that this applies much to what I'm doing, but I just enjoy hearing the conversation. I enjoy Mm -hmm. hearing, you know, the message be spread. And even in that seeing, seeing where you and Derek are now, it makes me want to know, okay, well, how did they get to that point? And then, like you said, it's, it is the complete um, archive of or I guess the chronology of of how you got to where you are today, and I really enjoy that. Well, thanks. I'm glad to hear it's it's working for you. Definitely. Uh, what was the hardest part about going out on your own and starting Tuple? Hmm. It's. I mean. It, 
it's a lot more uncertainty, of course. Um, jobs are simpler. Like it's you can get, you can get a pretty cushy job as a developer, and so you can make a pretty good salary, and it can be pretty fun and pretty good. So I think part of the challenge is just that like how high how high the bar was already. Like I had a good job. It wasn't like this is miserable. I got to quit this as soon as possible. It was quite the opposite. And so that made it harder. It's kind of the golden handcuffs thing. It made it harder to, to make the leap initially. And then uh, I would say the, the first, the early days where you're burning more money than you're making uh, and every month your savings account goes down, that is definitely, uh, there's some stress to that for sure. We were fortunate in that things started to click pretty quickly. And so it always looked like, okay, like we're, we're still not profitable, but I can see the trend and the trend looks good. And I could kind of forecast out like, okay, eventually this crosses ramen and we're, and we're good. Um, so yeah, it's probably, probably the money woes, but we were, we were all, so I have two co-founders and, and all three of us had saved up, um, quite a bit of money ahead of time, uh, which was really fortunate because it meant we didn't have to think about, you know, funding, like raising money, that kind of thing. So we knew we had a decent chunk of runway to, to get this thing off the ground. Awesome. Okay. Last question before the after show, what is your favorite piece of code that you haven't published for others to use? <laughs> um yeah you have to send these ahead of time man this is, this is real hard to do on the spot <laughs> again i don't think i don't think about these until like we're talking and you know you know okay. understanding where where the person is um so i don't i typically don't have much code that i don't publish i, I would say that the code that i'm most happy with that i get the most value from actually is published but it's in my dot files so i over like for almost a decade now probably have been accumulating like a really good vimrc a lot of shell shortcuts a lot of little shell functions that i use like me in a terminal is mostly typing like two to three letter commands and kind of bombing through things pretty fast uh, because i've just slowly built up all this like additional layer on top of uh zish and vim and all of this that's like basically ben's language for getting stuff done uh, and it's 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 worth a ton to me, and so and you can go check that out. My dot files are public, and and has like I don't know. It's it's funny to me how many people follow them. Like uh, people like to mine stuff out of dot files, so I have like a lot of st- a surprising amount of stars for something that's basically a personal collection of idiosyncratic code. I like that, and and I think that's that's kind of what I was looking for. With that not necessarily the uh, you know this is just for me to use and no one else, but more of the like hey, I'm doing a thing. I'm not really planning on like monetizing this in any way shape or form it's just to kind of help me get something done totally yeah and that's 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 the thing i deal with all the time now is like the um when i have a new idea for a thing it's like ooh, and do i want to make it a business too and it's always like it's it's hard to decide like am i just gonna should i just launch this thing and just make it for the world uh or not i love it well let everyone know um how they can connect with you if they want to or if they want to uh, hear more about what you're doing Sure. Um, Twitter. I'm a bit of a Twitter junkie, so I'm on there a lot. Um, I'm R00K on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open. Feel free to DM me if you want, or you can email me at ben at tuple.app. And if you are a, a person that might want a remote pair programming tool, uh, Tuple is a pretty good one, I think. It's Mac only, runs on the desktop, uh, but it has a lot of nice things that we built into it because it's tailored for pair programming. So a lot of people like switching. We're switching basically a lot of our customers from slack calls and zoom and things like that because they like that this is a tool built for them all right well thank you so much ben for being on the show and before we jump into the after show i have to remind everybody that uh you're hearing this uh sometime in the future but 
If you want to hear this as soon and future recordings as soon as they're done, we do have a private community. Um, unfortunately, right now we are closed, but by signing up for our newsletter, you'll be the first to know when they open up, which actually, now that I'm saying that, it doesn't make any sense because it'll be open by the time that people hear this. So yeah, go to the website and sign up for the newsletter. And if you are interested in joining the private community where you can get this as well as other uh, interviews that we've done, as well as just a community of people who are wanting to encourage one another to be more productive while they're also writing code, trying to accomplish whatever it is they're setting out to do in the tech space, or if they're just trying to help people, um, productivityintech.com is the site to go for that. And you can follow me directly. I am Jay Miller at KJY Miller on Twitter and all the other things social. And you can follow Productivity and Tech at prod underscore and underscore tech. Uh, thank you to Nadir Mawali for the use of his music, a hustler in spite of myself for the intro and outro music. I've been Jay Miller, and we are off to the after show. But until then, I hope we've been productive. All right. Are you ready for the after show? Sure. All right, so here's my my spiel. At the end of every episode, I've asked questions. Some of them were harder than others, and some of them were kind of uh, curveballs off the the top of my head. But I feel like the best way to really get some value for some of those premium members and those folks that, that are really looking for insight is to kind of remove the barriers and allow my guest to drive the conversation. So this is no longer Productivity and Tech Podcast. This is now the Ben Show with with host Ben and guest Jay, where you're the host, I'm your guest. I've got as long as you want to ask as many or as little questions as you like about whatever topic, but from this point on, the show is yours. All right. Um, great. So I'm going to take the show and I want to talk to you about your business. Oh, God. <laughs> Anxiety uh, just, just crept in. <laughs> How come? Where's that anxiety coming from? Or what, what's the thought? So, um, kind of the origin story of Pitt came from my lack of productiveness and my desire to improve. Um, I was originally a sysadmin, and now I'm a marketer. I've never held a professional developer role. Um, I've always been developer adjacent. Like right now, I even I do development work. Uh, for a large corporation that ships products, but I I'm in charge of their e-commerce platform, and it's not necessarily a writing the code for it. It is the support and maintenance of it. So for me, the idea of of doing this business started out as a podcast, just you know, kind of wanting to talk to people and and understand what it is I was missing that could make me a better developer, a better employee, and over time, it evolved into how do I help people make the thing that they want to make? Because I realized that my passion wasn't necessarily being productive or writing code. It was helping others launch the thing that they want to do and putting it in a pathway to be successful. But that said, I, I tend to struggle with that because that is a direct trade of um, energy and time for money. So there is always this idea of I should be doing something different. I should be, you know, turning it into a SaaS product where people can help themselves and I don't have to 
you know, take time away from my family in the off hours to record podcasts or to, um, as yesterday and today will be edit podcasts and curate newsletters and, and do all of those things for, uh, folks who are inherently more successful than I am. So what are your, are your goals? Like, what would you, what do you want the business to be? Uh, more than anything, I just want it to be kind of just, I don't want to say a lifestyle business. I, I never understood that idea. Uh, but just the, the idea that I can have something to do that pays my bills, that keeps my family fed. And that's, that's it. You know, I, I like helping folks. So the more that I can help them, the better. And that help often can come from just having the time to do it. So you who know, are you best set up to help? Um, best set up to help uh, any any developer who actually has a large audience that's looking to market their product. Kind of, it's kind of weird. I, I know like people who have a large audience don't have problems marketing, but maybe they're trying to transition into another platform. You know, similar to what you did, where you had a large. Um, network of folks with ThoughtBot and kind of all the customer base there, but then you want to create something that helps other folks. So how do you how do you make that transition? How do you start marketing no longer for one company and start marketing for yourself? Um, that's who I feel like I'm the most able to help, um, especially when it comes to digital media, uh, any kind of podcast, any type of like video coursework. Um, that's where I do the bulk of my work. So if I'm a developer that wants to build a bigger audience by putting out a video course, you would help with that? Is that the kind of? Absolutely. And and that's where, that's the bulk of my work is, hey, I'm a developer. I work for whatever, whatever company. I'm thinking about going out on my own and doing courses for Swift or whatever. How do I move the needle in that area? How do I, how do I grow that audience? Or maybe it's just, I don't want to do the editing. Like, do you have courses like this that you have made? That's kind of the plan for this upcoming year is um, a marketing for developers course. I know Justin Jackson had one for a while, um, that has, I think he's kind of just kind of let that wane. Um, I'm hoping to kind of move into that area and actually been talking a lot with Justin on that of, of how to, you know, kind of split the focus of how do I help solo developers, indie developers market the idea of helping other people. Yeah, I mean, are you trying? If it feels a little, this pitch feels a little all over the place, honestly. Or it feels like a little bit. Um, it feels like you want to do a couple different things, and the vision to me is not super clear. It's like you maybe it's editing, like like are you do like maybe you're doing some video editing, but I also want to help you launch a course or I want to help a developer build a bigger audience, but maybe they have an audience already. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you have like a laser focus on a particular person with a particular pain. And and I think that has been the problem of yeah. uh, it, when it started out, oh, the original idea was, Hey, I have this community. The community has things. I'm just going to charge the community money and help them with whatever problems they have, which obviously is a, I mean, it, if the community is large enough and the community is willing to 
you know, pay, then that's a great idea. But unfortunately, the community isn't large enough. So uh, for that, it became a, well, while I'm growing the community, let me start editing podcasts and courses on the side and doing newsletters for people. And over time, it kind of evolved into doing more of that. But the thing that I've realized is there's, you know, only so many hours in the week. So for me, I I quickly ran into a charging problem of, you know, for me to focus on doing that full time, I have to charge a rate that most people that I'm trying to reach can't afford. And in that mindset, I'm I'm actually trying to figure out, okay, what can I do that makes that a reality that makes the idea of I'm helping people do what they're trying to do a reality. And ultimately it, if I'm, if I'm making money selling courses, okay, cool. If I'm making money directly helping individuals with, you know, their marketing, that's also cool. Um, I'm, I'm kind of open to the idea of just wanting to help individuals. And I feel like that has, limited my ability to to come to like a, a singular idea of what I want to do. Yeah, I would say the impulse of like, I want to help people is a great one. And I'm glad that you exist in the world. And that's like, that's a that's a noble thing. Uh, but I think it makes it hard to build a business around because it's, it feels a little bit too vague at the moment. Like if you said like, I am the best podcast editor, I provide podcast editing services for people that like developers that make tech podcasts because I'm tech, tech savvy. So I know how to edit people talking about complex tech topics. It's like, totally get it. I get what you're doing. I understand this business. I understand if it's for me. I understand what it should cost and all these things. Um, but sort of like, I, yeah, I, I think it feels like you're, you're missing a little bit of a niche here to, to me uh, when I hear about it. No, that, that makes like, a ton of sense. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know when to hire you or for what. It's, it's, it's like, you, you want to help. And like, great. I, I love that you want to help. But like, how? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and with that, I mean, I would love your your opinion. Do you? I mean, do you feel like in a world where there are eighteen million podcasts, but only the you know one percent of them are actually making any money, is is the desire to help people through editing something that's feasible? Because I, I don't I don't know of many people who are only editing podcasts and that is their business and they're able to do it in a way that they can uh, they can provide for their family uh, is it so it's important to you that this thing be not a side hustle it be, you want it to provide a full-time income yes. whatever you end up doing yes okay. and and my target my target revenue is um my target revenue is 100k but uh, out of that my take home only needs to be about 70 okay yeah it might be tough to make that much podcast editing i would guess um and that is kind of um semi-commoditized i would say like it's 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 hard to really stand out and be like oh this editor's 10 times better than this other editor uh and charge appropriately for that um so that that focus feels uh maybe not there um but uh i I feel a little bit like the thing to think about is less like how do i find a thing that makes x because it's hard to make it's hard to make a business that makes that much money, and so I wouldn't think like let me go from no bit like not a business that makes that much money and like come up with one that makes it. And I would think more like 
what are the next four businesses that I'm going to start uh, that might make some fraction of that? And, and like kind of the Rob Walling stair-step approach is, is a nice way to think about this here, which is like, it takes a lot of time to learn the various skills required to build these things. And like you, you said the word SaaS, and I'll tell you, SaaS is like, you know, nine out of 10 in difficulty, or maybe eight out of 10 or something, depending on what your skill set is and, and all that. So like SaaS is not the starting point. Um, but like, could you make it like, it sounds like you already have a community that pays you some money. So you've already made something of a subscription product. Uh, it sounds like you have the uh, skills to make some sort of uh, info product that is like a one-time purchase and I, I i the i think the one-time purchase is a perfect place to get started like i have i have an info product man it's great every time someone buys it it costs me like i do no work and like that it's the ultimate in like you know perfect side hustle thing uh so and just in the, in the process of trying to build one of those and make it profitable or like make it make it good and, and get people to buy it like you will learn so much that will help you on the next thing that will help you on the next thing will help you on the next thing and so i think making being a solo operator that makes that kind of money from your your projects totally doable um but i would kind of think about doing it piecemeal and and i do think that that has kind of become the plan i guess for 2020 um as i mentioned you know switching to this kind of 12 week year approach of okay what am i going to do for you know january through march i want to do the podcast cuz that's what people so far have subscribed to for the last 4 or 5 years is me coming on talking to people who are developers who are people who are successful in some meter and learning from those people. And, you know, when I pulled my community, that's what they asked for. They, you know, they all said, I want to hear from the developers out there who are doing a thing, or I want to hear from people who are able to market their product. So I like the idea of doing that. But as you said, I need to be able to use that in some way, shape or form to then sell a product because at the end of the day, if I'm not selling the product, I don't have the time to continue to do a podcast. Sure. Yeah. And the uh, idea of piecemealing you- is a really good idea. Um, and that, that's something that I have thought about of, of kind of having a overall course, but then saying, hey, I'm going to release part of this course, like uh, marketing for developers, kind of the, the thing right now that I'm looking at. Uh, are you an incredible marketer? I am a professional marketer. So I'm <laughs> someone who gets paid to do marketing. Okay. Um, so I, I can't I can't say where I am in the scope of, of all of the developers out there that market. But I do hear that that is something that um, the people that I do talk to on a regular basis in the community always say, I have a problem with marketing. I don't want to market myself. I don't know how to market myself. And usually the advice that I give is often received well, and they wind up saying, yes, this did help. Uh, hmm. So okay. that's good. Sign. I, I feel like I, I may not be the best marketer out there for developers, but I am one that has been able to give advice that has moved the needle for others. Okay, cool. That's that's important. <laughs> That sort of to me is like the is the big consideration there is like do you have a lot to say that is valuable like do you have hard won wisdom in that area uh, and and maybe some also hopefully experience of sharing it with people and seeing positive results from that and if so then then great uh, that that to me is like a good a good indication that you're onto something there like people are asking you for this advice when you give it to them it's helpful 
you have enough there that you can you could make a, a product around it perhaps it sounds like well and and that's the that's kind of again where the anxiety creeps in because as much as i do have professional marketing experience I'm not Justin Jackson. I'm not I'm not the marketing for developers person. I'm not the the Paul Jarvis out there who can tell someone how to build a company of one uh, when you have to think about things like marketing. I'm someone who who has learned from those individuals, but I I don't know if my small audience and the help that I've given them is enough to really grow into, I don't want to say like an empire, but to grow into a, a network that is large enough to, to do this full time. Yeah. I mean, um, I think like you would have more credibility as someone that could teach developers marketing if you had successfully marketed more things really well. Yeah. Like if you had 10,000 Twitter followers and you were already making, you know, a side hustle from your courses, I would say this guy knows how to market himself and he knows how to market courses because look, he's doing it. And so then when you make that meta product, which is like, here's how I made my money doing this, then it has more uh, credibility. But if you say like, I'm going to teach you marketing right now. And it's like, okay, well, prove to me that you're good at marketing. Uh, and it looks like, I mean, you're getting paid for it. And that's that's some proof. And you have offered some advice to help some people. And you do have you know a podcast and some following and all that. It's not nothing. Uh, or it's not, you know, it's not small. So it, it you're kind of on your way. But to me, there's a certain amount of... Um, if you're going to make a product that's like, here's how you make money on the internet, or like, here's how I achieve my success, you have to make sure it's the success that other people really want. Like, you should be able to point to your your awesome thing and say, like, if you want to do this, I'm going to tell you how I did that. And not like, I listen to Justin Jackson too, and I've distilled some of that stuff down, and and here's like another way of approaching this product or, or another way of thinking about it. I feel like I want to see like hard, you know, the, the yeah. hard knock experience. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally agree. And and one of the things that I've thought about in that is the idea. And and again, we're still I'm still trying to form what the focus is. Um, and and this is being super helpful. Uh, one of cool. the things not that, just beating you up. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, one of the things that I have considered kind of in that route is the idea of podcast consulting for companies. Um, again, five years of experience in podcasting. Um, I now have several years of experience of editing podcasts as well as video work. Um, I do have a video and audio background. Well, I have more of an audio background as just a prior musician and working in kind of areas that most people haven't had the opportunity to do um, just because my family, my family is kind of built around music. My uncle owns a former Motown studio. So like being able to connect and have those connections in that area, plus knowing the developer side, I have really thought about the idea of selling myself as a consultant for, you know, tech companies that want to have some type of digital media product whether it's, hey, how do I build a YouTube channel around my business? How do I start a podcast that um, allows us to identify potential customers? Uh, kind of things like that. And again, the question there is, how do you, when, when you don't have a name like Seth Godin, how do you, you know, jump into that arena, even though I have the experience? Yeah, well, I mean, 
do you, no one just wants a podcast. They want business results from the podcast, right. typically, right? So, like, do you have experience making a podcast that brings in business? Yes. Well, I've, okay. I have experience of making digital media products that help bring in business. Okay. That's so, yeah. So, that, so, great. So, then, so I, I would start from the outcome, which is like, hey, I have experience. Like, do you want to generate 10 new leads per week from a podcast? or whatever, a YouTube channel, that kind of thing. That is That to me is a pitch that, that might get interest at places. Um, you could say, hey, I've done this before. Uh, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm moving into freelancing. Uh, I've had this day job where I've done this. I've, I've driven these three results that are appealing to business owners. Uh, I think I could do the same for you. You want to talk about it? That's, that to me is kind of the, that, that might be the sort of the wedge that gets you in there, I think. I wouldn't call it podcast consulting or digital media consulting because those are way too vague to me i I think like i think you want to put yourself in your customer potential customer's shoes and and say like no one's thinking like hey should we hire a podcast consultant this week but they are thinking like damn we're gonna miss our number by 10 percent. this is this is bad like my boss would be mad at me because i was supposed to have this many leads and i only have this many leads and that's like a pretty different pitch like hey we maybe the gap can be we don't have a podcast yet and this person can help us you know with all the information for getting off the ground and how to market it and how to do this and what and whatnot so if i'm if i'm hearing you correctly more of aligning it to how do i help or like i help others reach their goals through the idea of kind of a supplemental digital media product of some sort? Uh, um, I, so, sort of, yes, but I, I'm, I'm trying to push you to get away from generic phrases like reach their goals. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, like helping others, no. Reaching goals, no. Like generate more business, generate more qualified leads, sell more product, create a brand presence, th- these kind of things. Like the kind of goals that... If someone went to their boss and they said, "What's your goal for this quarter?" No one would say, "I want to reach my goals." They're like they were like, or, "I want to like you know." They would say something specific, hopefully, right? Like they're going to set some concrete things, uh, and they may probably have numbers in them. Like, I want to get ten percent more traffic to the landing page this quarter, and you could say, "A great way to get ten percent more traffic to your landing page is with a podcast." I notice you don't have one. Uh, here's one I've worked on in the past, and we found that it created fifteen percent more traffic directly from the show notes to this website uh, which turned into this amount of sales i think we can do the same thing for you that's suddenly very interesting um yeah okay i have to figure out how to how to use those words like that is that is something that uh is is kind of foreign to me and and sure 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 uh yeah i and, and your your heart is in the right place. Like I, all your copy on your website and the things you're telling me, like are all sound like the right thing. Like you 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 seem motivated to help people, and that's great. But I think that a really great way to help them, or an important part of helping them, is getting specific about how you're going to do it, uh, and that way they can actually envision whether or not this is the help they they want and need right now. Okay. So so in your opinion, I mean that would, and I, I know the people who are who are going to be hearing this are like, please don't say it. So I mean, but that that isn't a community based project at that point that is a direct like hey productivity and tech helps i keep saying the word helps because i love helping um productivity and tech helps tech businesses 
hmm, what's the word? Fill the gaps in in their revenue misses, whatever whatever that is. Like, and but the problem with that is okay. Now you have this community that you know I've been you know growing for five years that is not a tech company, not trying to grow their business. So maybe that's a new product in itself. That is a a different business. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. How, what is your community? Like, why are people subscribing to this? What do they get out of it? I To this day, I still have no idea why people actually subscribe to listen to what I have to say. But, you know, that's... <laughs> that's, I mean, that's not the best sign, Jay. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing that I often hear from people is that they enjoy the conversations and mm-hmm. they want to contribute to seeing that continue. Uh, the the thing okay. that I so they like the podcast conversations. You're saying they they like the podcast conversations. They like the fact that I mean, our our Slack channel is a daily open community of, of folks who are like some people are trying to get that you know get into a job. Some are senior developers. Some are authors and things like that. And the one thing that they all have in common is that they listen to this show one time and then now they go to this community for emotional support for celebrating their wins, you know, having a shoulder to lean on. If there's questions in the community, just asking them and knowing that you're not going to get Twitter trolls. You're not going to get, you know, proselytized or, you know, or asked to, to sign up for a course. It is like, I pay a set amount of money so that I can go into this community and say, hey, I have a question about this. Does anyone know? If the answer is no, the answer is no. But if the answer is yes, you now have a direct connection to someone. Or maybe that person knows someone who can help. Got it. And this, and it's a developer. These are all pretty much all developers? Yes. They're, I, I think we're probably like 95% developers. There's a few like okay. marketers in there that are I'm just connected with over time. So yeah, to me that just sounds like a different business. Like you happen to have a memberships, uh, membership community that you run. That's one thing. That's one of your you know pieces of the pie. Uh, but I, I think, um, you said you have sixty members at this point. Around there. Around there. Uh, and this is five years in ish. Yeah, and and not every member, of course, is a is a paying member. It's just kind of where we've developed over time. So we make. Got it. We probably make. Eleven hundred dollars in, you know, revenue just from the community itself, just okay, from different per, pricing models over the course of five years. Over a year, yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so I, I mean, that's not not enough to really be super substantial at this point yet, right? Right. Um. So I wouldn't think so much like, well, I have this thing and it's it's super. Uh, I think I might think of that as like its own silo. It's like, okay, I have this community. I like it. People get value from it. It generates a little bit of money. That's great. Um, keep that over here doing its thing. Uh, but you, you over the long term want to be bumping that number up with other things too, I think. Right. Um, and I think a community, a paid community, I think is a lot easier to pull off with when you already have a, like a giant audience to pull from and you can convert a small percentage of them into those people. Um, so I would, rather than trying to grow that, I wouldn't probably try to grow that part side of the business personally. I think charging businesses money for services that they value is a more direct path to that. And so I think like of the skills that I have that make businesses more money, which one is the easiest to describe? Which one am I, am I the best at? Um, possibly go pitch that as a consulting engagement to people. 
um, or possibly turn that knowledge into a product and people can like an ebook, I think like 40 page ebook uh, with the highlights. And like, can I sell that for 19 bucks to people that want to achieve these same results themselves? And I think something in there is going to be a, a good path uh, forward. Uh, and so I would, I would, I'd focus there if it were me. But then again, I don't you know. I'm just, I'm just one guy. I'm just making this stuff up as I go. So take or leave it. No. I, and and I, I think that is considerably helpful um, in that, you know, people always ask like, what, Oh, what does your business do? And it's like, I don't know. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> and that was, that's the reason I, I started off asking you about, or like, I want to talk about your business. Cause I, I went to your, to, to the website and I was like, I kind of don't quite get it. Like it yeah. didn't feel like there was like a clear, this is what I do. This is who it's for. And so I like wanted to dig into that. Yeah. And, and in your, in your opinion, I mean, is in doing that, I feel like productivity in tech can be what it is and just say like, hey, we're a podcast. We talk to people. We have a community that helps developers be productive. If you want to join it, here it is. Here's how much it costs. And then say, if you go to jhelpsbusinesses.movetheneedle.com or whatever, that is a completely different site that is focused on this other thing. Uh, do you feel like that separation is um, helpful or, yes. or hurtful? Okay. Yeah. That That's, that's what I was feeling. And I, I think that's also good because it allows me to, I guess, keep that, that focus segmented because that is something that I've struggled with. Yeah, totally. I mean, just the, just the name, like productivity and tech, that only can describe certain things. And so if you're like, oh, this is my, the name of my editing business. Like, I don't understand. How is this productivity in tech? Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be confusing. <laughs> okay. I think that's super helpful. Cool. All right. Well, I think those are my questions. Well, awesome. I, I learned a lot. I'm sure that everyone listening is like, oh God, okay, good. The community isn't dying in a fire. And um, it's all, I think it's always funny when, when I get to sweat a little. Uh, when like my guests, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, a lot of, a lot of the guests are like, uh, what's your favorite book? And it's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, yeah, we can, we can have that conversation. But the fact that, you know, even starting this conversation, you asked, what is a successful experience going to look like? And I think you, you took that to heart and you heard like, okay, he wants to help other people, but he also needs like help desperately. So let me, let me see how I can you know, provide that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you took it in the spirit it was intended. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, I will, uh, I'll reach back out to you, uh, right before we launch. Um, I'm trying to record these a little bit more in advance so I can do more work around promoting them and actually showing that I know a little bit about the marketing side of things. So <laughs> right, that's uh, good. I might, I might ping you for, uh, some stuff right before launch, just so I can make sure that we're, we're helping you as much as you've helped me. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a ton. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. There. Boom. That's actually a good session. All right. And what? What? Where's, where's my session?